part of the conversations that happen around my kitchen table. He's John Brandon and he's been a stand-up comic for more than 30 years. She's Amanda McKinney and she's been my daughter for her whole life. Our family believes laughter is a gift from God. We often discover it while discussing culture, faith, and family. So go ahead and pull up a chair, neighbor. Can I call you Carl? There's plenty of room here for you. So I'm going to be traveling tomorrow all day. So today we're doing our podcast, and I think Mandy has to retract what she said last week. I don't know what I said last week. You were talking about how uh, you were just in a mood last week. I have to retract what I said everything last week? because No, I you don't have mood? to retract everything. You can say, you can leave some of the words. But remember we were discussing whether or not uh, it's proper to stand up for things that you believe and say that say that people should follow you in your faith and uh-huh. and you were you were pushing back on that a little bit and I then we had pushing a back on that after that I felt pushed back on I felt a little pushed back okay. I felt like I was pushed all right <laughs> No, we did, didn't we have a conversation a couple of days later when you were feeling better and you said that you that you needed to sort of redirect no, some of the No, we got an said. email from Carl mm-hmm. where Carl thought that he was pushing back and I said, no, I think we're still agreeing. Like I, I was saying maybe I could have clarified that better, but my point was that if you believe in something, the thing that stops people from acting on their beliefs is uncertainty uncertainty they're not actually as confident in their beliefs as they would maybe like to be um and so we use the example of the trucker convoy in canada and you're like so you're saying that if you're not there in canada with the truckers who by the way have been disbanded disbanded yep um but if you're not there that means you don't believe in their cause and i'm like no did i say that yeah you said like like the truckers, there's probably thousands of truckers who are standing in solidarity with them in spirit, but they're not there in, you know, physical form. Right. And I said, right, but I'm not suggesting that the only action you could take if you're convinced of a thing is to go to the convoy. Okay. Like, I, the problem is we often confuse what action we should take with whether we're actually convicted or convinced of our own beliefs or not. And that's... So, and you stay by that. I stand by the fact that people usually will not act because they're afraid and they're not as convicted as or convinced of their own beliefs. They're afraid that they're going to be wrong. They could be right. They're afraid they're wrong. And so Carl's example was, um, there's a, a, a son or another family member. Now I can't remember the details, but a family member who is convinced, just absolutely convinced that masks don't work, um, to, to spread or to stop the spread of viruses that, Masks, because they don't. Yeah, because ma- masks are not um, necessary. And so, um, and she, Carl was a woman in this case, which is going to be very confusing, but I'm going to have to say she because it, I can't keep it straight if I don't. Okay. So she said, you know, my family member is convinced that masks don't work, and he, the family member, will debate that with anybody, will stand up and say, these are useless they're, they're, you know, a tool of oppression and they're being, it's a power play, but it's not for health reasons that we're being forced to do this, you know, blah, right. blah, blah. But 
he has he works somewhere where masks are required. And so in order to pay his bills and continue to be employed, he does wear the masks at work. And so, you know, Carl's point was, well, there you go. There's an example of a person who's convinced in his beliefs, but his actions still aren't reflecting that. And I said, yes, they are. You said he's still standing up for his convictions. Right. Right. In that case, there's a confusion between what action should be taken when you believe a thing and what I'm saying, which is if he's debating and he's declaring with his mouth that, you know, this is useless, I don't believe in this, it doesn't work, I'm doing it only because I need a job and I'm going to follow the rules just to be able to pay my bills, but at the end of the day, these things don't work. It's like that is standing up for your beliefs. That is a guy, a, a man whose actions agree with his convictions, I right. think. Well, I, I would agree. I'm getting ready to get on an airplane and I'm going to have to wear a mask through the airport and right. on the plane. And right. I am convinced that it doesn't, it's not for my health or for the safety of the people around me. It's just to follow the protocol. Right. Because if I don't wear a mask, then they won't let me get on the airplane and then I'm not going to be able to go to your job. To go to my job. Right. I'm not going to be able to do my commitment. And now we worked with a theater group. We had the kids in a play a year ago where masks were required for pretty much every practice, mm -hmm. including when I would go in to pick up the kids, I would have to wear one. And I thought it was stupid, but we followed that protocol because we were part of the cast. And then we decided not to be part of any more theater groups for the foreseeable future until they removed the ridiculous mandate. So right. that's... Is that mandate still in place? Yeah, as far as I know. And so <laughs> that's two examples of two different actions that I have personally taken that could, that both I think reflect my beliefs because my beliefs are not simply oh masks should never be worn by anybody ever like if that were the case then yeah my convictions are not matching my actions but but if my my convictions are that we should be saying true things even as we're being forced to follow you know a policy we may not agree with well now i'm still being consistent in what i'm i believe and in my convictions even though Somebody else might think my actions, if I really cared or if I really believed this, I'd go join the truckers in Canada, you right. know, and that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily follow. So, right. does, I don't know. Does that clarify it better than last week? Yeah, that clarifies it. I think after we talked, when the podcast was over, I, I think we sort of, I think we were sort of saying the same thing. Um, mm -hmm. But there was a, but because you were out of sorts, you know. You were a little out of sorts, well, so it wasn't really clear what you were. I wouldn't necessarily refer to last week being out of sorts as if, well, of course it was not. a one-day thing and now, like, everything's better or whatever. This entire season has been kind of hellish, and mm -hmm. people have been sick every other day in mm -hmm. our family, it seems like. Um, we've, you know, it started, well, it didn't start, but we thought it was culminating with Tabby, my sister, having to give birth all alone while her husband waited in the hospital yeah, parking lot because she was that. COVID positive and you can go back and listen to that birth story. If Speaking like. of silliness. Yeah. And so like, it just, it just seems like every time we recognize another crazy, stupid thing that we're having to suffer through, another one crops up. And so I've not been sleeping well at all. Um, my husband's homesick today after it's the podcast ninja is under the weather after vomiting yesterday. And Silas was a couple days before that. And Bedding had to be washed in that case. I'll leave the rest up to the imagination. Yep. Well, it's been, yeah, it's been a lot it's of sickness. Been a lot, a lot, a lot. And um, so the idea that, oh, you know, I woke up in a bad mood last week and I just need to fix it this week is not totally accurate I'm being either. A little flippant. Yeah. It's been 
It's been a ride, but it's been making me wonder though. This is just a random thing that I'm curious about lately. I have a theory that mm -hmm. people tend to respond to sickness and stress and suffering in their own ways, in, in slightly different ways. And specifically, I'm thinking about the fact that some You're people... You're talking about physical sickness. Physical symptoms. Mm -hmm. Well, but I'm not, though. Like, I'm also going to take this into the unseen realm. But, like, I think I think that, that it's interesting that whenever my husband is sick, he is almost always stomach sick. And I cannot remember the last time that I vomited. Literally. I, I've been saying that since high school. I've been saying, gosh, I don't even remember the last time I got sick. And it's been another 20 years, and I still don't remember the last time I got sick, like vomiting sick. I just don't. So it's not one of your symptoms. It's not a symptom that I get. But I do have trouble sleeping, and Luke gets really, really tired when he's sick. Like, you know, he wants to sleep all the time. <laughs> Emery is very noisy. <laughs> Emery is very close to the microphone, and she just leapt off of her chair. Jumped off the chair, landed yep. on the floor. But at least she's working on her writing paper here. Look I'm at so this. I'm so glad we've got little noise dampeners underneath our microphone to keep the ambient noise from See, being a distraction. Nice? She As wrote, toddlers hurl themselves off of furniture onto the floor. Anne likes to camp, she wrote uh -huh. in her little kindergarten cursive. A tent can be fun. Except it's, it says lun because an F needs to go all the way in the basement for a yeah, second. Her B's week. and her F's all look like B's, L's, L's F's. And um, what's the other one? B's, L's, and F's, I think, are the... They look the, like... They look the same. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, we, we've been... Uh, we've been discussing the, the importance of uh, convictions for a couple... Well, at least I've been thinking about the importance of convictions for several weeks. Okay, but what do you think about the idea that people handle their trials differently like the, they show the different point that symptoms. Their symptoms end up like their actual physical symptoms end up manifesting in different ways i'm 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 sure that's probably true like i mean there are people, people get headaches there are people who migraines. get the flu if people get the flu yeah back when remember remember the flu before covid there was a thing yeah, called the I'm flu i'm pretty sure we've had the flu and like people would get days. some people would get headaches some people would get aches some people would vomit some people would uh lose their appetite and some people would oh, experience different I, I never want to eat. Like, I just shrivel up. I want to curl up in a corner and stop functioning. I want all of my body systems to just cease until I feel better. So I don't, I don't eat and I don't, like, I don't enjoy things. I don't read or, you know, play games or whatever. Like, you just feel bad. And I don't sleep either. Like, right. I just can't sleep. I just lay around. Or actually, I don't even, that's not even totally accurate. I don't necessarily lay around either. I suddenly get very hyperactive. I start running around like trying to distract myself and it's very unusual. But then I start looking at how, the way other people handle things. And it's not like everyone else on the planet ha handles things a particular right. way. Right. Everybody has different ways of, of uh, letting the different external indicators of their, their internal suffering, Status. sickness. Yeah. What's going on inside. And it's so bizarre because because it is very much physical. Like, it's, I'm not just talking about the way that different people process things, because I know that's a, that we think differently. Right. But I mean, the actual physical symptoms. It's not like I just don't throw up because I force myself not to, or I stuff it down or whatever. I literally don't feel nauseous. Like, I do not, 
I don't feel like throwing up. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even become a, te- I guess, a temptation of mine. A temptation. I'm not even tempted I'm, to vomit. <laughs> I'm not. It's not like I'm wrestling, <laughs> you know, or fighting for control in that Some area. Some people, yeah, yeah. You don't dislike Peach to be to be so tempted with vomit. <laughs> That, that you do it multiple times when you're sick. What I mean, else some would of us, you call it? Some of us just can't overcome that temptation. It's, it's just impulse. too It's too much for us. It's, it's, it's an impulse that's outside of your control. What would you call that if it's not a temptation? <laughs> we know that the things we're tempted to a do are A temptation is a thing that you want to do that you're not supposed to do, is but, it? but it's going to bring you pleasure. Yeah, you're not Always? tempted to vomit. Okay. You're not tempted to have diarrhea because, ooh, Carl? that would be great. Carl? Can you be tempted to do things even when they don't, they aren't pleasurable, I guess is all. I think just a temptation is just anytime you're, you have an impulse to do something that's bad for you. That's a, that's a sin. Right. But throwing up is not a sin. That that's true. But that's why I said I was going to take it to the spiritual realm because I think that there, there is a body mind connection here. And so one of the things I noticed, it's not a sin to not be able to sleep either. I am so tempted. We're never going to get back on track now. I got food poisoning. I am so tempted to throw up right now. No, no. So tempted to ruminate on how bad you feel. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But what are you supposed to do when you, it's like, it's like when you bite your tongue. I've made this analogy many times. You bite your tongue. That becomes the only thing that you care about and think about. Right. And it's the same thing when you're sick. You can't force yourself to not think about being miserable. You're not, you're not tempted to feel miserable because you genuinely feel miserable. Well, but are you tempted to feel sorry for yourself, to ruminate on it, to allow it to stop you from doing other things you should be doing? What do you mean by feel sorry for yourself? Is it, I mean, sometimes you're supposed to stay, if you're sick, you're supposed to stay home and stay away from people. You're not supposed to just go out and get on with your life as if nothing was. you're also not supposed to, uh, not supposed to make the world revolve around you and your you're suffering. Like if well, that's what I'm saying. It's like when you bite your tongue. When you bite your tongue, you don't. You have no choice. You just automatically think about. Look at you suddenly getting rid of the free cho- human choice. Hey, who's on the other side of this argument today? I know. I've always said. I've always said that you have. That we don't have freedom of choice. Does not mean that anything that you want to have happen, you can will to happen. I mean, you don't. Mm-hmm. If you step off the edge of a building, you don't have free choice as to whether or not you're going to fall to the ground. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing when you're sick. When you get when you get whatever it is that throws your system into yeah, I'm not talking about willing yourself to feel better. I'm talking about willing yourself to control your thoughts. You're talking they, about feeling guilty about feeling miserable. No, I'm talking about taking your thoughts captive and choosing to choosing how you're going to respond to pain and suffering. Choosing how you're how you're going to deal with it. And I just think it's interesting that some people there are different symptoms that some people struggle to uh, to give up or that they struggle to manage. And some people are more bothered by throwing up, for example, or they uh-huh. it, it's harder to get their attention with a giant headache or whatever. I'm, when I'm sick, often I am tempted to throw up. I will say <laughs> There you go. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, and like when I'm... Like if if I fall down, like I, I rolled over. If you if you catch a football wrong, you know I'm tempted to jam my thumb sometimes. Yeah, um, right. So I'm I'm tempted to, uh, I'm tempted to stub my toe when I walk around at night and in the dark. 
I think that where our anxieties are, if you're afraid <laughs> of, you're afraid of throwing up, for example. I know a lot of people who are afraid of getting sick. They're not afraid of temporary discomfort because we all know we'll eventually get over it. What they're really afraid of is that that psychological warfare that goes on in the middle of the suffering, the spiritual and emotional and psychological tug of war in your mind mm -hmm. and racing thoughts are another thing that often accompanies a fever. And Are you, know. you uh, getting back to your original premise, Are this might be something that is more of a problem for you personally than it is for other people. A problem? I'm asking, yeah, I'm asking if, there's rel if there's any, you know, validity to the theory that people suffer in different ways and that they're, the symptoms that they d exhibit when they're suffering tend to be unique to whatever their challenges are. Right. And what I'm suggesting <laughs> is that you are somewhat unique in your, in your uh, thinking about and questioning and having a bit of anxiety about whether or not uh, being miserable it gives you permission to be miserable or whether you should just bootstrap your way into Nope. Uh, That's not what I'm talking feeling about. Feeling better. You cannot help feeling miserable. Right. But if the fact that you are miserable becomes... But then you said taking thoughts captive. If that becomes the only thing... If it consumes you, if your misery is consuming you to the point that that is the only thing that you're thinking about, and that means that you're not thinking about God's goodness, you're not thinking about your blessings, you're not thinking about your... You're not, you don't have any hope that eventually you're going to recover. When you... When you devolve i guess into into the misery when you allow it to embody you so completely that it's the only thing that exists then I, yeah that's different I, I, it sounds i, I think that people are going to say it sounds like you're you're being uh critical of people who feel bad like people like people who are like people who are barfing are you know, shouldn't shouldn't think about that. They shouldn't be. They should take those thoughts captive, and I think they should think about it. I think they should go. Wow, I'm in a position right now where I am in front of the toilet, tempted on my knees. to be extremely self-serving. I have to be careful because it's easy to <laughs> shout at my kids, Dad. If you're sick and you've got kids running around and you're taking it out on them, is that okay? No. Okay. No, but I just I can't. I keep going back to the barfing thing. I keep I keep thinking about you with your head in the toilet, take it as you come, and as you come, you go, oh, this is so self-serving. You don't have to think about that because I don't vomit. I'm thinking only of myself right now. Again, I don't throw up and haven't for probably three decades. So I that's not the actual symptom that I, the physical symptom that I have. But, but many people do. Many people have, uh, myself included, have, right. and I'm have not thrown up, and I've never and I've never thought about how I've, I've I've never thought about it. I've never thought about you know what I should be thinking about something else besides besides yakking my guts if, out. If you've got if you've got you know you're going through chemo for example, and so it's not just a six hour bug or a twelve hour bug, right? But you're dealing with nausea consistently for several months at a time. Mm -hmm. You cannot just curl up and cease to exist and and obsess over your own misery for three months, six months, nine months. Yeah, you well, can't do I that. would say I I hear you, but at the same time, I've thought about I've thought about cancer patients, and I've known some people who have been through chemo, and they've described it to me, and honestly, 
I don't know what I would do. <laughs> I can't. I, I have a hard time thinking about feeling that bad day after day after day after or day. Or women who've got hyperemesis gravartum, which is when you're I pregnant. I don't even know what that is. You're pregnant and you have such extreme morning sickness that you vomit multiple times a day. The duration of the pregnancy, nine months. Nine solid months. Of Barfing just, every day for nine months. Yeah, they usually have to be hospitalized. they got to be hook up, hooked up to IVs. IVs and, so they don't dehydrate. Yeah, extreme on a drip of anti-nausea medicine that may or may not even really feel like it's cutting the, yeah, cutting anything. Hey, Emery, I need yeah. to pause what I'm saying for a moment and tell you with more than just my hand gestures, you have to stop coloring on things that are not paper. I'm taking this marker away from you now. You colored on the pencil. You colored on that board. You know that that's wrong, but I think you're not even thinking about it right now. I think you've detached your brain. So. Her brain is floating somewhere it's else. Her mind her is floating still. somewhere else. Yeah, her, yeah. her brain's her in her head, but her mind is elsewhere. Um, here, just work on this. You know how to do this. Uh, well, I do think that I think that symptoms manifest themselves differently in different people. I'll yeah. go. I'll go along we, with that. We all notice that, but then lately I've been thinking about why and and how interesting that is and specifically because whatever your particular symptoms are you feel like that's the worst way to suffer that anyone could possibly suffer like right. for luke the one thing that he always dreads is am i going to get so sick that i'm going to lose control and not be able to stop and it's it's painful and i'm sweating and he gets anxiety and he starts pacing around and i recognize the anxiety symptom because i start freaking out and, and pacing around if i'm worried that i'm not going to be able to to, to sleep. fall asleep. Right. And so, yes, we're agreeing that there are some physical symptoms that are outside of your control. But what I'm saying is I want to tie it back to the way that we then handle those symptoms and how do they how do they gel with our spiritual we temptations. We probably handle them pretty badly most of the time. <laughs> probably. To be, to be completely blunt about it. We're uh, tempted to handle them badly. We're tempted to handle them badly. Yeah. I know when I'm tempted to... I'm tempted to turn my ankle when I step off of a curb. That um. is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> and listen, you know what I'm talking about too, because every single person knows a, knows somebody who's a hypochondriac, which yes. is obsessed over every single symptom. Yes, my, I know. My heart is pounding. My heart's racing. Oh, I wonder what that means. You know, my, let's go. To, let's go look up these symptoms. I twisted my ankle a week ago, and things haven't been right since. I bet you, I also tweaked my knee a bit, which threw the whole spine out of whack, and now I've got a headache. And That's where I've my migraine got, came from. Now I've got muscular dystrophy. Right, <laughs> right. They spend all this time, you know, making appointments and see, searching for diagnoses because they feel bad all the time, and the more you feel bad. The worse the more you feel you bad. Feel the more you feel bad, the more you feel bad. It's an awful vicious cycle yeah. that I think all goes back to a spiritual uh, need for control or a spiritual, you know, fear of the fear itself, uh, which we do have in common. But I still am interested by the fact that the physical symptoms that lead us to that place are not always the same. Yeah. Well, the other thing that happens when you've got somebody who has taken thoughts captive to use your term and they and they seem to be doing okay then the conclusion is that they're not really suffering as hard as the rest of us are it's like well you don't know what it's like to really suffer right. because they do a good job of handling the suffering and right. so our tendency is to go well they must not have it as bad as i do because well, look how valiantly they're carrying on speaking of cancer patients i actually did send a private message to a friend of mine a couple of years ago because she had she had either just recovered from breast cancer or was like in the final stages of her treatment 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was she had been fighting it for a few months, and in my opinion, was really encouraging to everyone around her by how she was handling it. Yeah, you showed me that letter. And so I wrote to her and I was just like, hey, I want you to know that I'm really inspired and that you suffer well. That was what I told her. You suffer well, friend. Everything that you've done has been and said has been raw, but also like, I I think righteous. I think that you've said some true things that are maybe hard, but also um, I don't think you've sinned at all in the way that you're, (laughs) you know, maybe you have without me seeing it, but like I'm saying the things that she posted on social media. I absolve you of all sin. The the things that she seemed to be saying on social media were like biblically accurate and, you know, seemed to be honoring to God as far as I could tell. And I just said, thank you for a great example that like, just because you get really hard news does not mean that you do have to collapse in on that misery. And what she said was, well, I appreciate this compliment, but the truth is, the truth is, it hasn't been all that bad, she said. <laughs> right, right. That's what I'm saying. The people yeah. who people who suffer well say stuff like that. Right. It's not been a big deal. She's like, I mean, there have been some really hard days where, like, even just the thought of food has made me run for the toilet. But my kids are older now, so they mostly handle themselves. And, like, right. my husband's been super supportive. All Everyone at church has been calling to it's, check on it's me. It's a like, person who, yeah. who can continue to count blessings and find things to be thankful for in right. the midst of all of the trials. Right. And it looks like, to the outside, it looks like they're not, like they're not suffering. Well, I would say, but but is she not though? Like, is she actually? You're suffering saying you're less? wondering if if maybe they don't suffer like the rest of us because, because they have their attitude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because according to her, her own testimony is it hasn't even been as bad as I thought it was going to be, or it could right. be much worse. See, this is this is the problem with having conversations with you is that everything becomes meta almost immediately. <laughs> I don't it's try like, that now. Now we are within. There's several concentric circles now in this conversation, yeah. and it, it's like, so are those people, are those people better at suffering because of their attitude, and is it, be, are they better at suffering because their attitude reduces their suffering? Right. And right. And here's another one. I think that should God choose to treat a person like that the way that God chose to handle Job, which is mm-hmm. basically with confidence that that He would come through it. Could it be that eventually there is a level of suffering that is like just magnificent, just really intense and and terrible, exquisite, just on a level that the people who say you don't even know how bad it is would not understand how bad it is? Like, is it possible a person like that can and will go through something we could all agree is truly, truly terrible at some point? But even then, because of how well they've handled these smaller, um, trials you know this these growth exercises that god has put them through before mm. even still even even still they end up better better off and as the bible says god is able to work everything out for their good because of their um their faithfulness because of their their commitment to do what's right and to to seek god whether their face is in the toilet or not right know? right yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. I don't know if it, because in order to in order to really understand that, you would have to be able to perceive the suffering from the other person's perspective, which right. obviously we can't do. We can't. Well, and that again, back to the beginning again. That's why I've been thinking lately about how we all suffer differently anyway. Like, if I were to be given Luke's trial, would it even affect me the same way? 
Like Luke's not afraid to lose a night's sleep and I'm not afraid to throw up. And so as a result, neither of those seem to happen to us. Like that's not the thing we end up being given right, to handle. And so, so not only can we not perceive another person's suffering, but even if we could, it, it wouldn't be suffering. It, yeah. For us, well, depending on who you are and right. your, your particular bag of tools that God has given you. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't experience it the same way that another person does anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, if you extrapolate out from that to other things that people suffer with, uh, either emotionally or spiritually, however you want to say it, like people who obsessed, who are obsessed with uh, people uh, laughing at them or, right. or thinking thinking nothing of them or, or, or thinking less of them. You know, I don't want people to laugh at me. For there are some people who really, really suffer. They have a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear right. that somebody's going to notice something off about them and laugh at them. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's just not even. That's not a no, thing that bothers. It's you. not a thing that bothers me at all. Right. I don't. I. I. I, I can't. Right. Um, imagine why that would why I, that would be so terrifying. An example, a similar, I think, example that I read. I'm reading a book right now called Overcoming Fear, Worry, and Anxiety by Elise. It's Patrick. I believe that's the author's name. Plug. Um, and I'm only probably a third of the way through, so I can't really... Third of a plug? Yeah, I can't really vouch for the whole thing. This but. is just a third of a plug. But she shared that when she was a kid, she's got this very vivid memory from middle school that just traumatized her because she was in a like a competition for thespians. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a sin, Carl. That's just people who do Those acting. are actors. Yeah. <laughs> I actually uh, say that on stage. I say, uh, I, say I was at a thespian conference. And I go, that just means actors. <laughs> Don't worry. And everybody laughs. Everybody laughs. <laughs> They're like, I know some of you are out there like, what were you doing with all those thespians? What, what are you doing with the thespians? <laughs> what are you doing hanging out with those thespians? Oh, uh, yeah. So she was in a competition where she and a group of, of her friends were doing a skit. And uh, they had been practicing all week. And it gets to be the night of the show. And they go out on stage. And she plays the Mad Hatter in a skit about Alice in Wonderland. And Alice says, I just love a good tea party or something like that. I just, I just love having a good tea party, which is the Mad Hatter's cue. And she said, she just froze. I mean, she just blanked. Just blanked so it. So hard that she was like <laughs> out of body and like looking at looking at her friend going, I know that she expects me to say, to say something, but I have, I have no, no idea. idea. What it is. Yeah. yeah. And she, so then she becomes afraid of her own fear. She's like, oh my gosh the intensity with which this is able to shut down my, my entire frontal lobe is just right. really terrifying, right. which just makes it worse. And then, you know, you spiral down and she just left the stage. And yeah, I, I think that that's, <laughs> I think that that's intriguing because I understand having a paralytic, like a paralyzing fear about something, but that's not what my paralyzing fear is. Like I know, I know so thoroughly that, people would not hate my guts for that kind of a situation like that, that, that I would recover from it. That wouldn't be the end of my life. You know, I know it so thoroughly that it doesn't. Right. But there are some people who, if you were to, if they were on stage with you and you froze and walked off the stage, they would have a hard time forgiving you. Some people are. Well, but I mean, I wouldn't, when I say it wouldn't end my life, I mean, I'm not, my identity or my survival is not tied up in people's opinions in of a, me. So a single performance yeah. on stage. Yeah. Right. And so I can handle, even if somebody does have a disapproving opinion of me for the rest of my life, like 
I'm I'm confident that I can handle that. Right. Right. Well, but that's that's not just that doesn't just apply to to the theater. That applies to virtually every scenario that right. that but, we go through. But what I'm saying is the the meta, I guess, the irony and also the the paradox is that because I'm not afraid of that happening, it dev- it never does. You don't suffer. I right. get I get phone calls now that when I was a well, kid they would have freaked me out. I, I think it does happen, but you but it doesn't it doesn't affect you. The same the same scenario that you breeze through without even thinking about it would be terrifying and well, a disaster no, for saying, somebody who didn't have your I don't just freeze. Like I don't I don't lose myself in the fear. Like not that I never forget lines or or don't know what to say sometimes. That's not what I'm talking about. But that that snowball effect or that spiraling down where it's like not only am I not only am I screwing something up right here, but I'm also like losing my ability to cope with it, which means I can't even get, dig myself back out of this situation it snowballs down and down and down because i'm afraid of the fact that i'm afraid now and i'm afraid of the fact that i'm afraid of the fact that i'm afraid and right. it just you lose right. yourself that's a panic attack right. and i'm saying there's a big difference between oh i just messed up and i know it and oh i messed up and i can't recover i'm so i'm so obsessed with my own failure right now that it's completely stopped my ability to function and that's why I was just saying with phone calls a minute ago. Like when I was a kid, I was terrified to make phone calls. I would right. have been terrified to have a conversation with a person. You were also terrified to go up and conduct like transactions in the grocery right. store and at the restaurant. Yeah, talking to strangers, really. Like if it was a teller or a, a waitress or, you know, because I was like, well, what if? What if I freeze? What, what if, if they I... ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Right. What if, what if I'm not prepared for? What this? if they ask me my account number and I can't remember it? Yeah. What if I look stupid because I don't remember stuff I should have the answer right. to? I'm probably the first person that they will ever encounter right. who won't know their account number. Right. And what I'm saying is that that can be a that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy or it can be a fear that you end sure. up, you know, indulging to the point of a panic attack and sure. then you then you might embarrass yourself in public and walk off the stage. But but it doesn't happen to me now because I don't totally know why. Like, because I just have, that's not how I'm tempted to be afraid anymore. Yeah. I used to be. I, I hear what you're saying, and I, but I, I do think that there's something to to the fact that it doesn't bother you. It's such a non-thing for you that it's not that it doesn't happen. It's just that it happens and you don't care. No. I'm, what I, when you say it doesn't happen, I'm not referring to mistakes which obviously do happen i'm referring to the paralyzing panic to the panic that doesn't that happen comes from those mistakes it right. does not happen to me okay. i do not All right. i do not wallow in my stage fright to the point in fact i can get to the point now and i have gotten to the point now where i sort of relish the challenge of oh my heart is racing and we're about to go out and do a performance and i'm not totally sure what's going to happen i hope that i can trust my fellow you know people on stage to do to hit all their cues i hope that i can um, I hope I don't let them down on my end. You know, I'm aware that there are lots of things that are not out or that are not within my control, but it doesn't cause me to just flee. It doesn't cause me to retreat and to, you know, avoid that situation altogether because I'm afraid I'm going to completely shut down. And there is a type of fear. And I think there's probably a fear like this for every single human. It just, it just manifests in different areas where it's so, it's so complete and so so deep that it 
uh, is consuming. And then it causes you to lose the ability to function, not just go, oh, darn, that, you know, wish that hadn't happened. Well, I think that there, <laughs> I, I, I agree. It, there are, there are people who are afraid of, uh, and, and, and it's usually not stage fright for most people. Most people really? aren't even involved. Well, most people aren't involved. Yes, people are anxious about going up and performing. Yeah, in front I thought of the group. it was most people, which is why they just that, avoid it. But but that's not what most people are not involved in theater, right? Because like they're so basis. afraid of it that they leave. Well, yeah. but but people are nervous about um, driving in traffic in strange places. People uh -huh. are nervous about g getting on airplanes. Yep. Uh, people are nervous about. Um, uh, going in any sort of circumstance where you've never been before, right. going into a going into a place with people that you don't know, that creates anxiety for people. Right, uh, and and to the point where where people gradually just stop doing all of those things. Right. We we reduce the size of our of our world down to a few comfortable. It's uh, called repeatable agoraphobia conditions. Called agoraphobia, where fear you start. Fear of crowds. Well, fear of public. Specifically, fear of big things, because what it actually refers to is when you shrink your world, when you're tempted to retreat from all of your triggers and all of the places that scare you. So it can it can manifest itself in no longer driving. It can manifest itself in not riding on airplanes. It can manifest itself in not going to particular places because you associate those places with your panic attacks, like the grocery store or right. church or you know somewhere where you've had a bad experience. It's like, well, I just can't do that again, can I? Um, and so, yeah, that's that. That is all. I I can very much relate to that. But I'm just intrigued by the fact that like how it manifests can be so different from individual to individual. Like some people, a form of fear or a, a phobia is one that manifests itself in eating disorders. Mm -hmm. And so, like some people are tempted to not eat at all because they want to control you know, certain parts of their life. They want to control um, their their health in that way. Other people are tempted to just eat meat and eat because, you know, because that seems to be meeting some sort of a of a need, a, what's the word I'm looking for? A disordered need. Well, it's control. It's But they're both rooted control in control. It. Right. 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 And so it's just, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily have anything, like, big and conclusive and profound to say other than just I've been... Watching I mean, after people? all of this, you're not going to end with some profound statement? I don't have anything. I just think it's oh, interesting. I wish you had told me that at the beginning. So yeah, this is not what I expected. It's not what I expected to spend 38 minutes on. But <laughs> What did you think we were going to talk about? I wanted to talk about the, uh, the church in general and our lack of ability to... Um, to tell people uh, that we don't know what we're it's doing. literally what you talked about last week. Oh, that we don't know what we're doing? Mm -hmm. That's different than last week. Because last right. week you said, we need more people in the church to stand up and be a Paul. And no, I, well, we, just, we just had conversations this week that have gotten, gotten me in a slightly different track. And that is that people are afraid to admit, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. But, but, it's, but it leads to, what it leads to is a... A sort of relativism in the church and that's not a good thing no that's why i have always said if you don't know where you're going or what you're doing yet that's fine but shut up just be quiet which yeah. is what i said last week and you were like yeah but paul was bold and i said yes and thank god for paul but 
Because he knew what he was doing. There are no Pauls right now, and there may be a bunch of reasons for that, but you're looking around and you're not seeing any Pauls because they don't know where they're going or what they're doing, and it would be a sin to continue trying to lead or get people to follow them, even though they're tempted toward relativism. Right. Well, the panic is, to try to stay sort of on topic, the the fear is that that we've got... We've got a bunch of church people who have internalized the idea that we're supposed to be doing something for culture. We're supposed mm-hmm. to be we're supposed to be offering some sort of hope uh, or love or whatever it is to the to the world. But at the same time, we're afraid that we uh, that we're not doing it right. Well, and so yeah. So we we have a constant malaise and anxiety about whatever it is our ministry is supposed to be. Right. Well, we're no different from the world. Like, we want to offer answers to the world, but we we don't allow the Holy Spirit to ask us, do you know anything that the world doesn't know? Do you, I just right. had this crop up recently where somebody sent us a question, um, uh, not us, you and I, but us, the sisters, and sent us a question asking about, like, an orthodox... Uh, asking about blasphemy, right? Blasphemy, yeah, yeah. Asking about theology, you know, a deep, complicated, like... The kind of thing that you know that Aristotle probably wrote about, and you know. Well, they just they wanted this person wanted to know if they were guilty of blasphemy, the unpardonable right. sin. Right. Well, it, but the, it was complex too, like the details of the story, and then you know, basically asking for our opinion on right on whether or not she was ever going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And <laughs> and that's fine. Like, I, it's not that it's. I I actually encourage people to ask questions, and so I'm glad that people are thinking about these things. But my, my response to the sisters while they were going, you know, how should we handle this? Should we record a podcast about this? Turns out that was a moot point because we haven't even been together for like four weeks because everybody keeps vomiting. <laughs> but, sick. Uh, but yeah, should we Everybody's the next tempted time, to throw up. Should we get together and talk about this someday or a year when we're back together again? And I said to the girls, the other sisters, do you have an answer to this question? Right. Do you have a an insight? Yeah. Because I'm not going to answer questions just because we get them asked. Right. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to suddenly think that because I've got a microphone in front of my face that that I'm obliged to speak into it when I don't right, know what I'm talking right, right. about. I, but I think we're. I, I think that's a that's a different subject from what I'm talking well, about. I'm, I'm talking about a frustration, and mine is primarily with with people who would proclaim themselves to be leaders of right. some manner they have microphones to, to say they have they have microphones right. and they're and they're standing up and saying on one hand hey this is this faith that we have is is the greatest it's the final hope for mankind right. you know it's the only hope for mankind but then they'll then they'll turn around and say but you know it's not going to be right for everybody you know there's a, people have different you have to draw your own conclusions you have to do what's right for you and it's like yeah, you shouldn't say both of those things at the same time. Well, they usually try to draw distinctions two ways. They'll say when it comes to the Bible, there are absolutes and then there are some gray areas, areas right. of freedom. So that's one. You know, we, we on matters of orthodoxy, we've got to be consistent. But on matters of opinion, just freedom. So there's that. And it, conveniently, everything you want to fight about is just a matter of it's opinion. opinion. But everything they want to fight about it's, is orthodoxy. It's absolute but, pillar uh, of doctrine. But that's that's be that as it may. They also right. draw a distinction between the people that Jesus spoke to. And he spoke harshly to the religious folks, but he spoke very kindly and with much love and grace and tolerance for people who were outside the church. Right. And so, what, Emery? 
<laughs> Did you finish your paper? She finished her paper right now. All right. You may have a piece of candy. Good job. Well done. She finished the paper literally at that exact moment. Yeah, it's, that's one of the things that we have disagreements about as far as when... Well, it's always about tone. It always boils down to tone with us. Well, I, Whether we're saying the thing that we're supposed to say in the right way so that people can receive it or whether or not right. it's being rejected that's and it's our fault. That's what's being claimed. But yep. that's where we go back to my my hypothesis that it's not really about the tone at all. It's about conviction. And I think there are a bunch of people who got, who found themselves in places of leadership because nobody else will do it in the church. Mm-hmm. And they they hear you say things like, well, we need a Paul. We need leaders. We need, we need a, a shepherd for the flock. We need fathers in the homes. We need mm-hmm. pastors in our pulpits. Like we, we need people who know where they're going and what they're doing. And they say, that's true. Amen. We do need that. So they go, here I am, Lord, send me. But but they don't actually believe what they claim to believe yet. They haven't been discipled themselves yet. And so they find themselves like way in over their heads very quickly because the questions people are coming to them expecting answers for, they don't have answers for. And that's what I don't want. They haven't thought about it. I don't want me and my sisters to get trapped in that either. Like, well, you have a podcast now. So every time somebody emails you with a question, it becomes your responsibility to put a period at the end of that statement. And to tell them things. And it's like, okay, but we still have a responsibility to ask ourselves, do we know what we're talking about? Right. Do we actually have an answer? And if you don't, that's okay. But just don't don't fake it. Don't try to don't try to provide an answer when you don't have one. Be honest about, well, I've never thought about this before. Or, you know, I'm there should be somebody out there who's a better ask than I am on this subject. Do you think that there's an environment, and we're out of time, I, I, do you think that there's an environment in the church now where people aren't even aren't even asking questions about whether or not I'm right or, or wrong because everybody has their own opinion, everybody has their truth, and it's, it's wrong to criticize and judge people? Yeah, I think that's happening in some places. I think that, you know, encouragement is a bigger virtue for most people than... Right than question asking. Support. But I think even when people do have honest questions or they do try to be, you know, genuine about their doubts or about their struggles or about, you know, where they're to- they're not totally sure about a thing. We talked about uncertainty last week. When they're uncertain and they realize it all of a sudden, um, now it's an issue of where do I go and, and what do I do with this uncertainty? Because because you've got those people who are leaders or who've got a microphone in front of their face who are giving a false bravado or right. you know, a false confidence in things. So so I think, yeah, there are some areas where people just aren't even asking the questions at all. But then even when you do finally find some people who are like, you know, there's some stuff I don't know, and I want to seek it. I want to I seek to find out and understand on a deeper level. Then you run into people who are at the, the front, up on, on stages or writing books or having podcasts, and you know what the most wise counselors are saying in today's culture? Nobody really knows anything at all. Nobody could possibly. Right. Well, that's understand. what I was saying. Yeah. That we've created we've created an environment where people don't even ask questions anymore because because everybody's everybody's point of view is equally valid. Well, Nobody guess, is. Uh, I guess they're asking the questions, but the answer to all of the questions is always. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah. The only thing you're able to say for sure is that certainty doesn't, you know, doesn't exist. Right. So, so yeah. In the church. It's, 
I don't know what to do about that, but I'm sure Carl, now that he's listened to this episode, will be able to I'm w- sure get to work on that. I'm sure a big difference. Uh, yeah. All right, well, we got to end because I am tempted to sneeze. <laughs> Resist the devil. I am tempted to sneeze and cough, and so I'm going to have to deal with that. Resist it. <laughs> Thanks for visiting the Comedian's House. If you want to spend more time with our family, you can follow John Branion on YouTube and Facebook. Also email nextdoor at johnbranion.com with your comments and questions. We'll see you next time.